was a result of murder and anger. You remember that. No one had ever seen a body that wasn't alive. They'd never seen a body that wasn't speaking, a body that was not breathing, that was growing cold and changing color. They'd never seen that until that first death. It must have been a shock for Cain and for his parents, Adam and Eve, as they beheld that. And the shock waves just kept coming about what death was all about. You remember that as you've read God's Word. We're going to be looking at that in just a few minutes from God's Word and looking at this commandment. The first commandment, not to kill, along with the commandment to continue and continue to serve God, to follow God, and to continue the human race, comes in the ninth chapter, five filled through the seventh verses, that God had given a clear command about this, death, murder, and about what God intended his people to do. I hope you have your copy of God's word. You'll turn with me. It's a short commandment in Exodus, the 20th chapter, the 13th verse. I hope you'll find that. Hope you'll use your outlines this morning on your bulletin as we look at God's word. I'm going to ask you to stand and follow along as I read aloud this particular commandment. Exodus 20, verse 13. Listen to what God says. Very short commandment. You shall not murder. Now let me tell you about that commandment. Just the four words, but it incorporates a whole lot. And I want you to understand that the Hebrew word for murder incorporates more than our English word says. It includes, listen carefully, it includes death through carelessness and death through negligence as well as taking a life. That's what God's word tells us. You say, well, can't we can skip that today? There's not any murders in our church. We have never done anything like that. We don't have any hit men anywhere in the place. We could probably just skip that one today. I never have an urge to murder, maybe except in traffic. Uh, But there's nobody here like that. Maybe you can identify with Clarence Darrow. Clarence Darrow said, I've never killed anybody read an awful lot of obituaries with glee. (laughs) Think about that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. In Luke 19, verse 14, we see that all there were unto every word Jesus said. Father, this morning, I pray for revival in our nation where everyone again 
all people will be drawn to Jesus Christ and hang on every word he speaks. As your word is proclaimed and preached this morning across this land and in this building, Father, I pray that you will protect the truth from being snatched away by the enemy, that it will find lodging in our hearts, we'll understand it. And according, Father, to your word, those who continue living according to your word are truly your disciples. I pray that not, I pray that true disciples, not those who pretend, but those who are really your children, here and across this land, will not hesitate to build our lives upon your word and upon the principles and the precepts of your teaching. Father, we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are some gruesome statistics when we look at some things in our nation and in our world. By the age of six years old, most children in America will have witnessed 10,000 murders and 100,000 acts of violence through television and through their video games. We live in a violent society. You know that. Every 27 minutes, someone is stabbed, shot, beaten, or strangled to death in our nation It's amazing. In 2018, the last statistics we can get right now, there was 19,500 murders in this nation. A lot of people, a lot of victims of homicide. We have the third highest homicide rate in the world. I'll tell you what is compared to El Salvador's number one. So you can imagine where we're coming in at in all of this. In our nation, two children are murdered every day. Right in this nation. More children will die from violence in the United States than from disease or illness of that type. The foundations, the walls that we are to build our life on have been destroyed. We need to rebuild those laws those uh, foundations and those bulwarks around our life that we had. This command seems pretty straightforward, and yet I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that this command has been twisted in a lot of different directions. So we're going to look at some things this morning, and I want us to look at what this command does not mean before we look at what it does mean. It does not prohibit killing of animals. Isn't that great when you live down in this part of the world that you like to hunt deer and everything else? It does not prohibit killing of animals. The Bible's very clear about that in a lot of different places. There's a lot of difference, God tells us, between human life and animal life. Many times God has commanded His people that animals are to be brought for sacrifice He says there's a difference between them. And he never contradicts himself. God won't say one thing in one place 
and something different in another place. Let me give you just a little hint of hermeneutics. That big old word means how to describe, how to understand and discern God's word. Here's a little thing that I learned a long time ago that I pray would help you. You always interpret an unclear passage by a clear passage. Just keep that in mind. It'll help you as you study God's word. In many places, God tells us that we're to kill animals. In Genesis 9, verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. Evidently, at one time, there was a lot of eating of green plants before there were any animals taken. But God says, you can take the animals. They're to be food for you. He tells us that several times. Now, you don't have to be a vegetarian or a vegan unless you just want to be. I just wanted to tell you that according to God's Word. Let me give you another thing that the command does not mean. It does not prohibit capital punishment. I want you to understand that. Many times in Scripture, God commands capital punishment. Capital punishment for those who have violated His Word. It's ordered by God because He's speaking to us how precious life really is. Numbers 35 verse 30 says, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death. That's God's Word. It's what He tells us. For certain crimes, God is telling us in His Word that uh, that crime is worthy of death. Leviticus 24 verse 17 and 18 says, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. And whoever takes an animal's life, that means an animal's life of your neighbor, that person shall make good the life of that animal. A life for a life. That's what he's telling us. God says there's some things like murder, like the taking of a human life that demand the death penalty. And he even makes this wider, and we'll look at this a little later when we get to the New Testament. For certain crimes, God says, it's worthy of death. We told you last week, we'll remind you again, that God has given authority to the home, He's given authority to the church, and then He's given authority to the government. And God gave that authority to the government to delegate those who have, uh, uh, to be over to the delegation of those who have committed this crime of murder. That's been placed in the hands of, of the government. To maintain order, God says, in society that we are, uh, in the society that we live in, God delegates His authority for taking life to the government in those cases. He's allowed human government to be established for that reason. He tells us, and part of that is punishing the wrong and capital punishment when that is one that is commanded as such. Romans 13, 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. This is talking about the government. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
God says, I've established governments. And their job, I've allowed them. They're not perfect. They make mistakes. But they do keep law and order. That's what they are to do, he tells us. One translation calls the government an agent for justice. God's placed that authority with them. God wants justice in the world, and He demands that. He demands swift justice. Number 16, if you remember, is the account of Jesus causing the earth to open up and swallow hundreds of men into the earth, down into Sheol, because they had sinned against God. They went down to death. Many times, judgment in the New Testament and in the Old Testament was administered swiftly. We don't have that right now. Today in our appealed system, whatever you believe about that, it takes a long time for justice to happen, it seems like. When President William McKinley was shot and killed, his assassin was caught and tried and sentenced and executed 54 days later. That wouldn't happen today. Wouldn't happen at all. Theodore Bundy, after killing all those women that he had taken the lives of, after all the appeals that went on, and there was years of those, it was still 11 more years after his sentencing before he was his life was taken by capital punishment. The average sentence in this nation is eight years for murder. And there's not right about that, folks. Oliver Wendell Holmes said it best. He said, justice postponed is justice denied. And how true that really is. Now, this commandment does not prohibit capital punishment. As we said, well, Kent, I don't believe capital punishment does any good. Well, that's argued by a lot of people. I have a lot of lawyer friends who say it doesn't make any difference. But there's some numbers that tell us that it does make a difference. You know, for a while in this nation, we forbid capital punishment. And it was in the late 50s when, again, we started using capital punishment. But let me tell you, some of our highest rates of murder was in those times and shortly after those times. For instance, in 1991, there was 24,700 uh, murders. Now, what we have now is a lot, but it's still less than that. There's some behavior experts who believe that we can trace this back to the fact that capital punishment is a deterrent. And I don't want to get into all of that, but I just want you to know God commanded it, whether we like it or we follow it or not. Let me give you another thing that this command does not, that tells us that it's, it's not something that we think is wrong. And I'm talking about war now. A time of war. There's a time to fight. God says there's some things that we need to be willing to stand for. They're worth fighting for. And even losing our life for. Dying for. The same God who, committed, who commanded that we're not to murder is the same God that has told us there are times for war. People were called in God's day to go to war. His people were. He said that to defend the innocent... 
the basic human rights and preserve freedom is worth fighting for. And he called for war. In Revelation 19, 11 and through 16, it's interesting. But the, 19, the chapter 19, verse 11 says, In righteousness, he judges and makes war. That's God. So this doesn't mean that war is not to happen. Edmund Burke, Edmund Burke said, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And how true that is. How true that is. Well, we've talked about what this commandment doesn't mean. Let's talk about what it does mean. I want you to see that. What does it mean? What does it have to do with building a life and building a church and building God's people? I want you to listen to this verse. You've seen it a lot of times and maybe you haven't understood it. I hope I can make it a little clear, but I'm talking about Matthew 5. Matthew 5, this is from the very mouth of Jesus Christ, preached the Sermon on the Mount. I've stood on that place and looked down to the Sea of Galilee, and I can imagine him as he began to do this teaching, and thousands of people were down listening to what he was saying. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 21 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. That goes all the way back to what we just read a moment ago. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now what he's saying is nobody is to escape that act of violence, that punishment that is imposed by the courts. Now listen to verse 22. This is the one that gives us trouble. But I say to you that everyone who is angry. Anybody in here not know about anger? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Everyone who is angry. Now what that means, they're continuously angry. And they harbor malice in their heart. So everyone, but you have, uh, but I say... To you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother, whoever insults him, and that's with contemptuously, with just all kinds of anger and insultingly. And the, and the King James uses the word raka there. We don't use that word very often, but let me tell you what that word means. It means to have the same kind of anger at somebody that would be the same kind of anger that would take life. Whether you take the life or not, if you have that kind of anger, God says you've stepped across the line. Same kind that would cause physically to take a life. Then he went on to say his brother... Anyone who will uh, have this kind of anger towards his brother will be liable to the council. That's the Supreme Court. That was the Sanhedrin in Christ's day. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire or the curse of fire, fiery hell. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering 
there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Now I want you to listen and understand what God is saying right there. It is possible to have anger in your heart and in your being towards somebody right in the church family or somebody in your personal family or somebody in your acquaintances that you have this kind of anger, an anger that has grown and has turmoiled and has churned your inside for years. You have thought about how wonderful it would be if they were just taken out. Now let me just say to you, don't sit back there pious like you've never had that kind of anger. Friend, God's speaking to us. That's the reason He's saying, you shall not kill. You're to get that right. It's interesting that God says that if you have this kind of anger and you remember this kind of anger, before you give your offering to God, before you make your right relationship with God right in offering, you're to leave that offering where it's at and you're to go and make it right and then come give your offering. I've often wondered about that. Why didn't he let them take the money with them? I think he thought something might happen. They might not get back. He says you're to leave your offering And then go get things right and come then and make your gift. Let me just tell you something. I have a lot of experience with churches because I've been a pastor for a while. But some of the most angry people who felt like they had a right to be angry and the most Physical almost. It doesn't get physical that you can see, but mentally it's just almost physical. Anger towards somebody is people inside a church. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the truth. I have seen anger in a church that would cause people to go to all lengths to try to get even or to be in such a spot that they couldn't stand to be in the same church. I've been in a church where somebody walked in the door and they saw that person they didn't like, and they turned around and walked back out, and both of them were members of the church. One just beat them to church before the other. What I want you to understand when we talk about murder, it's more than just what we think of as murder when somebody just deliberately goes and takes a person's life. This is those things that happen in our heart and in our minds that we cover and we keep from everybody else. And God says, you will not get past judgment with that. It's exactly what he tells us. You'll not get past judgment at all. I cannot really give an offering to God as I'm supposed to do until my angry heart has gotten right with God. That's what he's saying. Kent, there's not been any murders in our family like that. Well, I want you to know that statistics bear out the fact that most murders, the majority of murders, are by people they know. Many times people in the very same family. Let me tell you, there's also the murder of a man's soul and his will and his emotions. We can do that to someone We just seem to put such a damper on all of that by what we say and what we do and how we act towards somebody. That's what we do. We're guilty of that. You remember this definition of murder again that was commanded to, uh, that is that to unlawfully take a human life, but it's also that 
which is malice with a forethought, but negligence and carelessness. Now you understand why God's given us this command. God says no to that to murder in our hearts and murder with our hands and with the things we say. But God also in this commandment says no to suicide. No to suicide. God says don't do it. Don't do it. The tenth leading cause of death for all ages in this nation is suicide. It even gets a little higher when you break it down into age brackets. One suicide every 13 minutes. In fact, 47,085 people in 2018 took their life. What most people say, and I've had people to say it to me who is dealing with that, they would say, it's my life. I can do what I want to with it. And I have to tell them, it's not your life. God says it's not your life. It's His life that He's given you. He gave you that life. You do not have the right to take it or to do anything you want to with it at all. And the tragedy of this statistic is that it grows every year. God gives life. Only God has the right to take it away. Romans 14.7 says, For none of us lives to himself. Now listen carefully. And none of us dies to himself. One translation says, We are not our own bosses to live or die as we ourselves might choose. Our life belongs to God. Whether you're a believer or not, He gave you life. He gave you the days that you were to have, and He doesn't want them cut short at all. That's what He tells us. We've been bought with a great price. And God, before you were ever born, determined the number of days that you were supposed to have. Now, He knew what was going to happen to all those days, but He determined a number. And you and I are not to take that life before that time. That's His prerogative. That's His privilege. We've been bought at a great price. Job 14.5 Since His days are determined the people that God creates. Since His days are determined and the number of His months is with you. They're with you, God, not with me or anybody else. And you have appointed His limits that He cannot pass. That's what God tells us. I've determined the number of days you're to have, Kent. I know how long you're supposed to live. I've determined these days. And I don't want you putting that Short. I don't want you cutting that short. I don't want you taking your life before the days that I have provided for it. Now, I know people feel despair. And I know that a lot of people go through depression and a lot of things that they wish they were not wrestling with and they've tried a lot of things. And I think some people deal with this more than some of us could ever imagine. But I just want to say to you, and I want you to understand this, that dark clouds can and do come, but I also want you to know that the sun will come. There'll be light after that. If you've considered this, maybe you've even attempted this, I want you to hear me 
And I want you to know that there is hope in God and that some people care about you. I care about you. And other people care about you. And God says it's only my prerogative to take a life. No one's else. He made you for a purpose. He wants that purpose fulfilled in your life. And if you cry out to Him, I want to tell you, He will come to you. He will answer you. And I want you to know, if you will let people know, if you'll let somebody you trust know, they will get some help to you. You'll let me know if you're wrestling with that. We'll get some help about that. I want you to know the people at Crossroads care about you and what you're dealing with. They want to help you as God's family if you'll allow them to. Let me give you another thing that this includes. Second up there, God says no to mercy killing. He says no to mercy killing. The technical term for that is euthanasia or infanticide. God says no to those. You may see it now, which makes it almost sound uh, that it's nice and it's wonderful, that it is physician-assisted death or death with dignity. That sounds nice. There's no such thing as death with dignity, friend, outside of God's will. And I want you to know that as well. We're talking about causing death, or causing death for someone who is deformed or diseased or aged. Now I want you to understand we're not talking about death that's coming by the natural progression of life. And there are times when you may not want, you want to go on home, you may not want all of the extra care, preventative care, and the extraordinary work to save your life. There's nothing wrong in saying no to that if you're a child of God. And you're ready to go. But friend, to take that life otherwise, God forbids. Job 12, 20 says that in His hands is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God doesn't want that taken at all. He's the only one that has authority to take that. We believe as individuals that it's more compassionate if we take someone's life when they're getting near the end. But friend, we don't know everything. God's the one who knows everything. He's the one that says, this is what is supposed to happen. In 1997, the state of Oregon with a vote of 60 to 40% was the first law in the civilized world to begin to take a life of somebody else who wanted their life taken. The Death with Dignity Act. There's only eight states now and Washington, D.C. that does not criminalize taking a life this way. But I want to tell you, no one has the right to do that. Several years ago, or down through history, but several years ago that some of us can remember that old enough, there was a man who believed that it was all right to determine when a life was over. And it was a tragic thing. There's one other thing, and the last thing that this does forbid. God says no to abortion. We talked about that just a few Sundays ago. I want to read some scripture again. 
that I think was read that Sunday, but Psalms 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, before the cellular level was coming along, God says, I was working on you. Your eyes saw my unformed parts, my unformed substance. In your book were written. Every, and in your book they were written. Every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as of yet... There was none of them. Isn't that amazing? Did you notice the eyes and the me's and all of those in, that, in those passages? What I want you to see is God created you. He saw you. He knows you. He loves you. And you're personal to Him. He cares about you. He cares about you. He says, I knew you. I was there when all of this was going on. And I want you to know Even pro-abortionists cannot deny that there is life at the moment of conception. Behold, the psalmist in 127 verse 3, Behold the children, behold children are an heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God knew you personally before you were ever born. He cares about you, every part of you. God says, I planned you, and I don't want that plan disrupted at all. Let me just say that the ultimate short-circuiting of God's will is abortion. I mean, it just stops it all. Never given a chance whatsoever. God had that purpose, and we thwart that purpose We short-circuit it. I believe that it is one of the most evils that has happened in the world. In a nation that has already had over 61 million abortions since 73. We know all the reasons, but I want to give you some good news about that. The number of abortions are going down in our nation That's good news. They're not like they should, but that's good news. And I will tell you something else also. The people who are pro-life are increasing in numbers and being heard. And I am thankful for that. But when you look at abortion, I want you to see what's really happening. This is one of God's moral laws that we thought we knew better than God about. And so we begin to rewrite it. And 40 years later, we're suffering with it. We're suffering with it. We've done so much damage. We've wrecked society, mentally and emotional. We've left a wake of brokenness and guilt behind us. Financially, we've destroyed several generations of productive people 
productive and contributors to the arts and the sciences and education and medicine and everything else. We took their lives. We might have had a cure to cancer. Had we not killed it? Listen. If you want something financial, we've lost a major tax bracket by taking all those lives. If you just want to look at it from a pure financial state, no one rewrites God's commands without major catastrophic problems. And that's one of them. Well, I'm going to wind this down. Let's be the individual. Let's be the family. Let's be the church that says, God, I'm going to obey your command. I'm going to obey all your commands as we study these. As we've gone through these, I want you to know these are written to us today in this time, in this place. I want you to see God's love and His protection in every one of these commands. We may look at those next week. We're going to look at those hard. We're going to have tribal understanding some of that. But I want you to know they're all for our sake, for our protection. God knows more about us and everything else than we do. Let me give you some life application. Give you the good news. If you've been a part of an abortion, if you've been a part of a murder, I want you to know that God can use murders. I think we talked about this earlier. If you've been part of a mercy killing, I want you to know and understand that God will forgive you and he'll redeem your life. I want you to know that. We talked, I think, some weeks ago about Moses, David, and Paul all have something in common. They were all murderers. And yet God used them. He used them. In repentance, they came to God and they sought and understood and received God's forgiveness. Listen, I'll say this again. I said it a few Sundays ago. It doesn't matter where you're been near as much as where you're going. God's more concerned about what direction you're headed now than where you have been. That's much more important. That's the message of grace. That's what I want you to know. I want you to know that. Crossroads Fellowship. Most of us have never probably taken a life in any of this. But let me just say to you, if you've sat back there pretty smug today and said, I haven't done any of those things, Kent. Well, I'm glad you haven't. But I want to ask you a hard question. You ever broke one of the Ten Commandments? Oh, now it just all fades away, doesn't it? And I want to tell you, they're all important. They're all important. They're all breaking God's Word when we take them. And I just won't tell you. I'm sorry I have to tell you. But I'm guilty of breaking some of them. I want you to know that. And when I look at someone who's broke one and I haven't, I sort of want, I sort of want to get smug But God reminds me again, no, Kent, you're a sinner also. Simply saved by grace. That's all. In fact, God came to give you life. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that you might have life. He says, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You matter to God. No matter where you are or what you've done, you're not an accident. Let me tell you something. 
Pregnancy may be an accident. Conception is a work of God. Can't be changed. God does that, regardless of what we think about it. But I just want to tell you, if your life has been through that, God can take all the pieces of your life. All those who have been marred by mistakes and by mis- bad choices, by breaking God's word, He can take all of that and begin to replace those pieces to make you whole. He can do that. Could you say this day and at this particular time, would you be able to say, God, would you take all those pieces of my life and would you begin to pull them back together and make them what they're supposed to be? Christ, I want to know you and I want to follow you. I ask you for forgiveness. I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your head right now. Those of you who are going to be ready for the baptism, you're free to go if you need to. But I just want you with your head bowed this morning, and I'm talking about everybody. Your eyes closed so that you can just push out all the things around you. Could you say, God, please forgive me. Cleanse me. And help me to receive your forgiveness. And help me to forgive myself. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Your eyes closed, your head bowed. I want to tell you that Christianity is first news before it's theology. What is the news? I want you to know this. It is this, that all those sin, great and universal and deadly as it is, Jesus, the Son of God, has come into this world to save sinners. He saves us from eternal punishment. Christ died for our sins. God made Him to be who had no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. We're justified. We're made right by God, by His blood, and reconciled to the Father. There is no condemnation to those who come to Him All the condemnation was laid on His Son, Jesus Christ. And the way to be saved by Him is not works or merit, but faith. Faith in God who justifies the ungodly. I want to ask you maybe as your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, have you ever done that? Have you ever received Him as your Lord and your Savior? And if you haven't, would you be willing right now to say, God, I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to save me. And if you've done that, 
I want to ask you one more thing. Would you just step out and come right down here? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you come down here to where I am and just tell me about that? If you've done that today, you may be a guest. You may even be a member of this church, but you've never done that. Before the invitation closes, would you say yes, Lord? Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your people. And I pray that the seed that's been planted will continue to bring fruit until we come to that place that we surrender everything to you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. We're going to receive our offering. We're going to do things a little different today. We're going to receive our offering, and then we will close with our baptismal service. While our men are getting ready to receive the offering, I want to share something with you, which is is a true story. I've been told, and I believe it was. The Eternal Revenue got a letter, an unsigned letter, sent to them that baffled them. And the letter went like this. It was from a man. He identified himself as a male. But he explained that for the last five years, he'd been been unable to get a good night's sleep. And he said, the reason I've been unable to get a good night's sleep is because I cheated the government. And in his letter, he had placed five 100 bills in this letter to him. And there was a footnote at the end of this which caught my attention, which I thought was really interesting. He says, if this doesn't help me sleep better, I'll send the rest later. (laughs) Isn't that the way we do sometimes, God? I'll do this, and if this don't ease my conscience, then I'll do more. I just want to tell you, God wants you to do it all. And He wants you to do it all now. And He will bless you for that. Now we're going to have a baptismal service. And I want you to watch and to listen. I'm going to try to answer some questions that you may have about this before before we do it. But I want you just to see this and to understand some things about it.